When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of The Mentor. A lot of athletes get into business when they retire from their sports. Some make it and some don't. This week, I've got a success story. This is Michael Klim. He is an Australian Olympian. He's won stacks of gold medals. He was broken world records. And he launched a company called Milk & Co., which is a skincare company in 2008. With Milk, clearly being Klim spelled backwards, is the brand name. I'm going to have a good talk to this guy. I've known him for a long time. I've looked up to him. I think he's a superstar. He's an Australian champion. And he has something really important to offer to all our listeners. He's had plenty of ups and downs too, by the way. He's selling in more than 3,000 stores across Australia. And he's looking to get into the Chinese market. And for all intents and purposes, from what I can see, he's going really well. I'm keen to talk about how he started out, the problems he faced along the way, and all about what is next for Michael Klim or Milk. Let's get into it. Hey, Michael. Welcome to The Mentor, mate. Thanks, Mike. Nice to be here. Uh, so for me, it's a, an honour to have <laughs> you in the studio, um, You know, not only because of your swimming prowess and what you did for Australia, um, but also for what you're doing now in your, in your new business. It's, Thanks, it's, a, it's a real inspiration for sportsmen in particular swimmers which is a tough gig um it's an inspiration for them to have something some life after swimming or after at least being olympian representing your country where you've given probably most of your teen most of your young years or definitely all your teenager period and probably a number of years into your 20s um, you've given it um, to your sport and then uh you get up and have a crack at uh, business that's a tough thing to do Thanks, mate. so mate um how come you come went and delivered a skincare brand? Was it because you're in the pool so much, and your skin got all dried up, and you thought you'd better do something. Well, it's funny enough, you know, being a being a swimmer and being exposed to chlorine my entire life, like you said, and swimming outdoors, I've always had to look after my skin. And if you don't, we spoke about it. Either your hair falls out, which oil goes green, or yeah, and you just smell like like the pool for the rest of the day. So we've always had to, you know, try different products. Um, and, you know, even within the change rooms and locker rooms, the guys would actually, if they found something good, they would, would talk about it, etc. But anyway, so I definitely had a bit of an accidental insight into looking after your skin. And then um, I was coming towards the end of my swimming career, 2005, 2006, and um, I felt I needed to start looking f into life after sport. And at the time, coincidentally, I was approached by a couple of skincare brands for, for me to be an ambassador for them. I thought that 
two in six months. There must be something in that. And um, I had been prior involved with Braun, so into grooming already. And um, so I felt there's obviously something that, um, you know, that people relate to with me and, and skin and, and skincare. So I, um, I did a little bit of research. The skincare market was growing at about 40%, which is astounding numbers. It's still in, the, in double digits at the moment, but 40% for a market was just, it was just huge. Retailers are jumping on board, like, Coles and and Woolies and there was definitely a big growth in, in the skincare and grooming market in Australia. So um, I spoke around to different people in the industry and, and got some insight and a little bit of knowledge, what I could, and, and basically put together an offer, an easy-to-use, affordable, accessible skincare range for Aussie blokes by another bloke, presented it to Maya, um, and they took it. So there's to all stores and I'm like, shit, I've got to actually make this stuff now. Yeah. So so I, I took a bit of a stab and, and I just, yeah, fell into it accidentally. Um, one thing led to another. Actually, initially, it wasn't all that successful. We collected dust on the shelves at Maya. We were in, in some great stores overseas as well, but it wasn't positioned in the right spot. The guys don't go into Maya and buy their skincare. So I tried to work work and re-engineer the brand and make it more ex- even more accessible. So we're we made it a grocery and pharmacy brand and um, reduced the prices, made it uh, a little bit more accessible and um, since then it's been going really well. Okay, and for the people listening this t- to us right now, there are a lot of aspirational people and um, they've got great ideas and they, they want to put it into action <coughs> yep. and that they're going to be, you know, hopefully they'll learn something from this. So if I just, just I might just backpedal a little bit mm. on, on what you just said. So, <clears throat> excuse me, you had some experience about the need for, Skincare being Australian, being in the sun constantly, mm-hmm. and being exposed to chlorine mm-hmm. in a swimming yeah. environment, or just being in water, which probably takes the natural oils out of your skin yeah. and your skin's yeah. dry. Yeah. And I actually, one of my sons was a swimmer, and I know, I know the problem. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's, he was always putting some sort of skincare on his skin after training, and so yeah, he get eczemas and stuff. So you identified a problem. Yeah. Probably. Um, at some stage, all throughout your career, you probably knew about the problem. Yeah. You identify the problem. Then you thought you'd do something about it. Now, there's a big difference between identifying a problem, knowing a problem, mm. even having an idea as to how to fix it. Yeah. But that leap from having the idea to actually going, to, going about doing something, what do you I mean? Do you remember the time <laughs> when you thought this would be a good thing to do? Or were you, was it because of necessity, mother invention? You know, I sh- thought, sh- shit, I'm, oh, swimming's finished, I've got to go do something? Or was it, was, it, was it necessity or was it some other thing? Is it your, is it your innate personality? Little, what is it? A little bit of all the above, to be honest. Probably a little bit of naivety, thinking about I could, you know, launch this brand and it's going to fly and... Um, it was nothing really revolutionary in terms of the formulations or, but I just felt there was, if I could, uh, my, I guess, experience was, I always was a product and I was always marketed from other brands and try and help them sell the brand or promote their brand. So I, I guess my insight was branding and marketing. And I, I thought if I can package this upright and put it in the right place and make it easy to understand, accessible, I can, I can, there's definitely a need for it. So Probably a, a real ap- a small appetite for risk um, and then I guess that comes with sport and expecting that you just don't know what's going to happen around the corner So I, and I was coming t- close towards the end of my career so I needed to take that next step and I never thought it was going to be skincare but the, obviously the opportunity presented itself so I took it. 
Um, did you I, have a mentor though, Michael? Did, did someone sort of say, come on, mate, we can do this? Or did you have... There's a few people I spoke to, the gentleman by the name of Brian Hemisfeld, who, who, um, who used to run Bloom's Cosmetics in, in Melbourne. Um, David Briskin, who used to run Mimco as well in Melbourne. Um, so guys in retail that... They all said, it's bloody hard, don't do it. <laughs> it's too hard. And, you know, to be honest, you know, I always, through swimming, I always had a bit of a, I was pretty, and people said, don't do it. It's almost like, yeah, I'll show you. I'll show you up and I can actually have a well, go I mean, at People are going to say, oh, it's all right, that's Michael Clem, it's all right for him. Yeah. But they're going to say that, right? I mean, that's that's what the listeners, some listeners will say, some of the more, you know, pessimistic sort of listeners or critical type of listeners. But Michael Clem, if he does it and makes a mistake, it's actually even worse because you do have a brand. So at what point did you become really aware of your brand? So like you just said to me then, look, other people ask you to be an ambassador. You understood the power of Michael Klim as a brand. I mean, it's obviously your face, your Mm. your skin, Mm. your look. When did you actually understand that stuff? I mean, or did you just have a crack? You thought, well, people like me, I might have a crack at this. Yeah, it's one thing promoting other people's brand and um, and there's another level where you actually, I actually sold one of my investment properties, one of the houses I was living in and invested all that money um, into this business and then actually went and out and, and got borrowed money from somewhere else and kept on investing. And so there's another, another level where I actually speak on behalf of somebody and actually you know, <laughs> having so much at stake where you've got a mortgage to look after and, and kids, etc. So the stakes got higher and um, and that's when that perseverance kicked in. You know, I sort of, um, my I, my brand, I guess I knew that it opened doors and, it, and, and I was very fortunate about that. I could always, I was very fortunate that people were open to listening to my story about how the brand evolved through obviously through the pool and my sporting background and then having kids and developing a natural kids range and uh, nutritional sports goods and how the, the brand evolved was genuine. So I was always very fortunate that people opened to listen to it. But um, then they, they, I still had to perform. And, you know, people might say, oh, you're, you know, as you said, Klimi would have, would have had it easy, etc. But those big guys, they don't really care. If, you, if your brand is collecting dust on the shelves, they'll kick you out the next they'll day. They'll put you on the shelf. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so... These sort of things require a great deal of tenacity. Um, and I'm a sort of a, a student of how the neurological system um, be, develops and or can be trained. How much do you put down to your tenacity in business, in launching your own brand, to the tenacity that you developed in your brain from getting up every day of your life for, I don't know how many years, 10, 15 years, oh, at 4.30 in the morning, my life. <laughs> missing out in the school holidays, yeah. training for the for the metropolitans and the states right through summer, yeah, and then uh, going for the nationals right yeah. through into April, whenever it is yeah. these days, and uh, then doing the winter again, yeah. never going and getting out on the piss with your mates, yeah. and they're all going out Friday, when you're, especially when you're 16, 17, yeah. 18, 19, how much do you think that attrib- you, would you attribute to your success in actually being able to have the guts to launch a brand yeah. of your own? Oh, I think it's... For parents listening, I'm yeah, talking about now. It's, it comes back to that p- perseverance. It's like I, I remember, you know, when great... For me, the fallback was knowing... I had a really pretty smooth career, I must say, up to about the age of 25 and then I had back surgery, a couple of shoulder operations and I was trying to get to my third Olympics and um, one thing I remember, I had, you know, I had three shoulder ops and I couldn't lift my shoulder over sort of head high and 
obviously not ideal when you're swimming. Um, but I still wanted to get to my third Olympics. And the thing that I, I remember, I used to, for about eight months, I used to come on pool deck and kick between 20 and 40 kilometers a week just so I could be on pool deck with my mates. And I still kept that dream alive of getting to the third Olympics. And it's it's that perseverance. It just It's like, I'm not going to give up. You can't give up because it's, you know, the, I had so many knockbacks with that brand. So, I mean, it's not always smooth sailing. You know, we've gained customers. We've lost a lot. We've gained probably more again. So, it's it's that um, the tenacity you speak about. It's just that, just, you know, bite chunks, moving forward, having that ultimate vision. It's, it's very similar to sports. Short-term goals, long-term goals, um, having the right team around you, people with the same values as well. So, I've learned so much through this process of how important the team was. I thought the team was super important in my sport. But whereas the, there's more variables, people with different skill sets, even that team even more important. You know, I was ultimately in the pool in control of my own destiny. I still had to perform. Here it's much more collective. So um, so I guess, yeah, I sort of, um, I think it's important, my, my background and I guess my, my talk about my tenacity, but it's probably just that purpose, whatever, whatever that purpose that you have um, and just not not giving up you know we've been going for a bit over nine years and and i feel like my biggest learnings have only happened in the last two or three years because uh, would you recommend to parents today excuse me to in terms of their children's business future whatever that may be maybe in a professional environment might be working as a plumber might be running a business but would you suggest to parents that they put their kids in today a form of sport, not necessarily mm. swimming, because yep. it's probably the, the hardest and the loneliest for, sport yeah. there is, in my view, um, to, to get to an elite level. Um, would, but would you suggest to parents that they put the kids in some form of sport to actually build their tenacity and their strength of mind and strength of character and their ability to chase that purpose? Would Absolutely. You, yeah. like I, you, I, are you doing with your kids? I'm going through the same, through the same thing right now with my kids, my um, my two oldest to nine and eleven, and they both found passion. And one of them in, in tennis, the other one's actually swimming. And there's been times where they've wanted to quit both sports, and both of them wanted to quit at different times. And and that's when that's as a parent, you need to step up and say, look, if you just take easy option every single time <laughs> you're not going to get forward so i don't expect them to become olympians or play the australian open but i think the 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 value of persevering through the tough time all my key learnings in sport and business have been through a disappointment or negative period mm-hmm. <laughs> so um so i sort of every time and when they do persevere if they you know rocco's come off the court crying and he's lost to his mates or whatever and and the time he gets back to practice the next time he feels so much better about himself so it's so how do you encourage your his name's rocco is it yeah how, yeah how do you encourage your son because i mean you've got to do the same in business with your staff when yeah, things aren't yeah. Going good. how do you encourage your son? what do you say to him well so first of all i wanted to you know wanted to listen why he was so upset you know and and for him it was about <laughs> came down to wanting to impress other people so impressing me and impressing you know his brother and sister or his sisters and um so is and i said rocco you know just i want you to get out there have fun and you know and you'd really enjoy the sport so just just play for yourself don't play for anyone else so um and once you sort of once you listen to him and talking to people want to know that um, they're valued, you know, um, and I think that's the thing that I've tried to build within my team that everyone's accountable, but they're also very valued. So you, you translate that into your own business. So your Absolutely. team at, yeah. at Milk, you actually, do you actually sit down with people and sort of say, look, 
Um, you know, you're not. It's not about a competition between you and the person sitting next Absolutely. to you in the office or in the building. Yeah. Um, it's about you doing your best. Yeah. But you enjoying yourself? Do you actually go through the process? Yeah. Or look, I regularly have have coffee with individually on, with 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 my staff or go for a walk, etc. I think it's that. Um, you know, we're a very small team, so only about thirteen staff, and it's you know, I think you can have that personal connection with, uh, you know, with your team. So I really value that, and I guess that's. What I've been able to apply from, you know, from sports. So having that really, t- I think the more you give one person, more you're going to get it in return. <laughs> so, and that's, um, you people, you know, in a small environment, you, you expect something to, and uh, something to come you back. can do. Yeah. Now I've got in front of me a number of products here. I've got uh, <laughs> Boost Skin Wash, tough on chlorine, which is, um, that's a very interesting because my <laughs> couple of my sons still swim. Um, actually, one of my sons swam in the uh, B final of the Commonwealth Game, Games trials in uh, 2005 or six. Six, yeah, Melbourne. That was my second, yeah, second last meet in yeah, Melbourne. In the, I, I think yeah. I think you were in the A. You yeah. would have been in the A final. And yeah. in fact, in fact, I think you qualified. He came second in the B final. He was actually 17 years of age. That's Alex. Wow. And um, he just had a kid last week. And um, he's my first grandson. And um, and uh, I never forget. He was so disappointed. Not being able to get in the A final because he didn't hit a good, he didn't hit his PB, yeah, and he would have yeah. got in the A final if he had it. And you know what? He gave something away that day, that that week. He yeah. was totally shattered because he saw heroes of his like you. You're one of them, and there was a number of them down there. Yeah. Um, and uh, and he just he just sort of cooked it. He just said he was only 17. It's yeah, too young yeah. to be doing yeah. something like that, in my view. And it was yeah. a HSC year. Yeah. And he basically said, that's it. And he never swam. He went back to try to go back a couple of years later to do it, but you can't go back to these. Yeah. You can't have a break, ago. unfortunately. It's no. just one of those things. And, uh, and it's the same in business. Yeah. I mean, I, it's interesting how he applies himself to, to his business quite well now because of those years of discipline. But yeah, it's, it's like everything. If you, if you, fall off the bike or if you fall off the horse, if you get knocked out in the game or don't give it a break. No. In business, you can't give it a break. If you get knocked back in a pitch or trying to raise money, investors, you just got to keep going. You just, no matter what, yeah, you got to keep going because once you lose the momentum, it's very hard mentally to get back into it. Absolutely. I mean, it's nearly virtually impossible, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Look, we've, we've, and yeah, we've we've gone through different points in the in, in the company. We've we've had private investment from myself and family. So and can you talk about it? how did you yeah. fund the business? So initially, um, I funded it through my own cash. Um, then I've had some my some sort of family investment as well. We reached out to private equity a few years in, into the operation. Um, very recently, we've had another transition where, where the private equity exited and we had another private investor come in with a more strategic partner with a focus on the Asian market. Well, so you've, you've just been, Michael, you've been very, very <laughs> humble there. So let's just, let's just peel it back a bit. And this is typical. Yeah. Very, very typical of entrepreneurs. First round is your own money. Mm. And it's usually not a lot. Mm. And it's usually you're, you've got to sacrifice, you've got to sell something. Yeah. You, you just said you sold an investment or a property. Absolutely, correct. But you've got to have a crack. Yeah. The second round usually is your family. Yeah, my and, dad. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so if you're lucky enough to have parents or uncles or aunties who believe in you, yeah. they'll have a, a second crack. The yeah. third round, if assuming you're going well and you're getting close to profitability and you're getting good distribution, and we'll yeah. talk about that in a second, yeah. um, you go to private investors. Yeah. Which private investors always want an exit. They want to know, hang on, yeah. how am I going to get out of this? Yeah. And the, the fourth round, which is, this is all sort of like textbook stuff, the fourth mm-hmm. round is strategic partners yeah. who take out the punters. Yeah. And these punters, they want a good return usually. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they come in. So is, talk to me, let's not talk about your, your, your round or let's not talk about your dad's round. Let's talk yeah. about how you found the private investors yeah. for round three. Yeah. So we had... um. 
Well, our private equity injection was through a company called Blue Sky up in, in Brisbane. They're, um, they had a part in their business called Alternative Thinking. They had a lot of traditional different investment through real estate and um, commodities, etc. But they also had, um, they started this new business called Alternative th- uh, Thinking. And um, it's really, you know, it's this, <laughs> this world just How'd revolves itself. Them? My general manager at the time um, was at, at weekend sport and she was talking to one of her son's uh, friend's dads who happened to be a, a broker and he said, oh, I, um, and they started talking about the business. He said, oh, I think I know a company up in Brisbane that might be a good fit for you guys. So from a um, footy field in, in Brighton, um, we got connected to uh, to the peer company in, in Brizzy and then they flew down and Mark Mark Salby and Alex McNabb, who were the two guys at the, at, at the helm at the time, flew down and um, we, we passed the, uh, they call it the dickhead test pretty quickly and then uh, moved on to uh, to the next stage of operations pretty quickly. And they invested money into your business yeah. and what did you give away? We How gave much? away a minority, a, th- a sort of 30% stake at the time, um, which, you know, I still obviously a majority of, of, of the shares and um, and yeah, so they, they stuck around for quite some time, only recently, as I said, just exited. So, um, real sort of um, gave us a lot of made us become much more accountable. Um, corporate governance, you know, it's some, obviously when you when I was running my business, a lot of it was, I was in tuition. I had no tertiary education into that sort of structure. So um, they've implemented a lot of processes and things that we've been able to, you know, will continue to apply to. That's this really day. important. What you just said, yeah. and I was talking to this about, to the, about this to Nick Boris, Nick Forum yesterday. The process of either selling your business or reaching a liquidity event where you're either somebody else sells out, one of the shareholders, and you bring in a new partner or you raise money, mm. um, there's a there's a, an expectation for the fourth round mm. that they see everything nice and clean. Yeah. Now it's very important when you bring in when you bring partners in, or if you're not going to bring partners, you should do this do you do this yourself. You've got to groom the business absolutely so that you can present people. Board minutes, uh, leases and agreements, uh, staff contracts, um, uh, cash flow projections, the last four years worth of projections Absolutely. relative to the yeah. actuals. Did they meet the, your projections so that whether, that tells me whether I can trust your future projections? Yeah. You don't want any surprises. Nice, clean <laughs> packages. Yeah. A nice, clean package. Absolutely. So your private equity guys brought this uh, sense of uh, structure to you. Yeah. And yeah. made you accountable to them as, did they get on a board? Did you have a... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So we had a board member from Blue Sky. It was really simple structure still. It was just myself and one other. Um, and yeah, so for them, it, you know, I think it it sort of provided, we're probably one of the most visible businesses, probably one of the smallest, but the most visible in terms of branding and, you know, PR and exposure. But, uh, um, and, it, and it sort of gave some of the younger guys an, an opportunity to get their hands dirty in, into an, uh, in a startup. And, um, but uh, yeah, obviously, as you said, you know, the, the PE guys look at an exit of within, you know, three to five so what, years. So uh, what was the liquidity period? So what did, so they, they made you enter in a shareholders agreement? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, and so you know, for people listening, that this is just a, an agreement between shareholders, which says a whole lot of things. One of the things it always says in there is, we the investor... You know, the third round investor in this case into Michael's business, we want at the end of four years or three years yep, the yep. ability to exit. Yeah. And what we want is a liquidity event. Either you find me a buyer. Yeah. Or we list the business or we yep. sell the whole business. Yeah. They call it liquidity event. So what was the period? Well, normal liquidity event is sometimes between three and seven years. Yeah. What was so we're just just shy of five five years, and then came on board and um and they actually 
happened to, we were talking actually about the strategic partner for quite some time and we were sort of, um, we hadn't actually gone to market yet, but we were almost, we were very close and prepared everything actually. And again, you know, sometimes these sliding doors happen and, um, and the, the, you know, we found this, this new partner who's actually Sydney based, uh, with a Chinese sort of background heritage where, where we, um, was perfect because that's where, where the business is heading towards the sort of Asian and Chinese market. Um, obviously in pharmaceuticals already and had a great distribution. So we needed, this is where the big opportunity for our brand is. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it's funny how sometimes due diligence and all these things, sometimes you say take between three to six months, we knocked it off in probably, I don't know, I reckon 70 to 80 days. So we, we, got on, we got on pretty quickly and, um, yeah, so we obviously they wanted to invest. Exactly. And did yeah. your private equity people, the Brisbane based people, did they make money? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. So they had a good, um, you know, they had good a good experience. return. Good experience. Probably tougher than, than some of the other ones. In, in retail, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces. You're, as we, we spoke about, you know, when you're dealing with big retailers and they've got their direction, they've got their sort of strategies and trying to align all that. And we've had, we're planning four different categories from men's skincare, baby skincare, women's skincare, and sports nutritional products. So, and then, and then also we're doing amenities and dealing with licensing as well. So it was quite a, diverse business uh, but it also presented a lot of opportunity so michael i'm going to go we're going to go to the break um because as as all breaks you need a sponsor for these things <laughs> but um wh- we're going to go to the break but when i come back i want to talk to you about a the product i mean how do you you know you're an ex-swimmer ex-olympian mm-hmm. how do you go about working out the formula for this stuff sure. how do you distribute yeah. important product distribution and then i think fine i'm not going to talk about pricing i'm going to talk about product and distribution the final i just want to ask you what were the big setbacks? I mean, yeah. how do you as a person get over these setbacks and still run these businesses? But yeah. right now we're going to go to the break. Okay. Welcome back to The Mentor. That was, uh, that was I, I really enjoyed the first half of this, Michael. So I, I do want to talk to you about the product. So I, I guess, what, what's your product range? What, how many products would you have? Well, we've got um, a, probably a total of about 50, 50 SKUs across four ranges. Um, and so what are the ranges? So we have uh, men's, which is the men's skin fitness range, which is, you know, product for active Aussie males. Or is that why you look so general. good? You, you, <laughs> I don't know about that, but I just got off a plane from Bali, so probably a bit, uh, bit, bit dusty, but I got away without, <laughs> without the volcano erupting. But um, yes, yeah, so for us, it's, it's about functionality and ease of use. So most of the products are multifunctional. So if you've got a moisturizer with a sunscreen or a face wash and scrub or a moisturizing body wash. Um, so you're trying to minimize the steps in the bathroom. Um, with NPD and product development, luckily I had young kids so I could use them as guinea pigs. They're What's all- NPD? <laughs> new product development. Right, new product. Um, and when it came to, you know, luckily I had a very good focus group when it came to active Aussie males in, in terms of my friends who are, probably in that right demographic between the age of sort of 25 and, and 45 and sort of handing out a lot of products. So you do it um, within your circle first. And, um, but you weren't sitting there working out the formula, were you? I, I, no, I certainly was. So unfortunately, I probably made a few mis- you know, mistakes early where I uh, developed the product from the top down rather than probably building it from the bottom. So not really looking at pricing. I wanted to make sure the bottle looked amazing and they had the best quality ingredients. And um, but, but about the chemistry of it though? I mean, do you have a chemist or? Yeah, so we used to, um, we had contract manufacturers that we worked very closely with in, um, so we sort of, in Australia. So yeah. all the products are Australian made and that's one of our biggest selling points and probably that's the reason why we've just recently had the um, expansion into the Asian market where 
Um, we've had great companies forge a great reputation for, for Aussie made products. So, um, yeah, so I, I think now I think we've been able to combine more of a approach building the product from the top down and the bottom up. So we can really price is so important and so sensitive that we have to hit certain obviously market uh, margins and GPs for that. So, and then once you've done your product range and you've got and you, you know, you test your ingredients <coughs> and you've done your market testing, your beta testing. And then you do your, your, your you'll get your the, the the touch look and feel. I mean that's you know mm. the, how the how the the product packages. Yeah, yeah. Which is very good. I, I quite like. It's very masculine. I, mean, I I quite like it. It feels good. And it's but it's not over the top. You know, it's not like some shape like a knob or something. It's yeah. Some <laughs> idiots. You know. I mean, some of these bloody packaging are ridiculous. It's got to be simple. You know, it's, we're simple guys, yeah, and you very, know, <laughs> yeah, you're right. And it's an Aussie thing too. Yeah. Very simple. Yeah. Um, it looks clean. Um, and uh, actually, funnily enough, the KLIM. It sounds right. It sounds clean, you know, like clean. I don't know. Just, yeah. it just it's short, yeah. fast, yeah. bang. Yeah. Um, I think it's very good. And it says all the right stuff like face moisturizer, sunscreen, hydrate. And I just use some. It's, it's quite easy to apply. How did you then work out your distribution? Because this is a tough one. I mean, do I put it on the shelves of Woolworths or wherever price mm. line and pay away a fair bit of the distribution? Because, you know, they basically, for those people listening, basically the, the, the big stores or the retail stores, they charge you – for the use of their shelf space, basically, yeah. because yeah. and they're promoting their shelf space, yeah, because they can promote better than you because they got more money than you, yeah. How did you go about making a decision to do that? So initially, when the brand was in in Meyer and and gifting it, it it was obviously just going in there where I thought that was the opportunity because you know I had just an idea, but when I understood what more the the customer needs were, more the demographic that we were selling to. Um, I realized that, and also where the market was heading, I, I realized I needed to be in the big players. So I needed to be in Coles, Woolies, Chemist Warehouse, Priceline. So um, uh, we obviously, I didn't really have much understanding of, of their pricing structure and the promotional programs. With, that's, they're the things that can bring the a business undone because totally. it's, you, you're funding that yourself out of your own pocket or if you, you can negotiate other deals, but generally you're funding that out of your own pocket. So um, I knew that I had to get into um, into those big guys. So, you know, distribution was key and, and we're now in about th- uh, 3,000 doors domestically. Um, but yeah, I think I think once you find that positioning of your brand, you just really have to knock on as many doors as possible. So I went to all pharmacy banners around the country from Terry White's to Priceline to, <laughs> to Chemist Warehouse to Chemplast to, you know, Chemist Outlet, etc. So you just have to knock on as many and doors as possible. And what do they say possible. to you? When you walk in there, I mean, you say, okay, well, hi, Michael Klim, that helps you get in the door, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a big plus. I mean, you're leveraging your, your own brand. You say, look, i got all these things. What, what, what do they say to you? Look, there's, a, and there's, a, there's been a number of rejections and a number of knockbacks and it's not necessarily because of you personally and I never take it personally. And um, and it's not necessarily about your brand, but sometimes it's their strategy. You know, there's also you competing men's skincare or baby skincare or women's skincare might be competing shelf space with the you know baby formula or nappies or something else. So so it's not necessarily your product or your positioning. It's it's the competition within space and within that store. So um, you just I present the brand and um, always try and make sure I can convince them to give it a try. Um, sometimes. 
you know, that works and, and you can get through that first period and sometimes we give it a try and it doesn't work. So we've had, you know, the brand come out of a, a couple of stalls over time. But um, yeah, I think obviously just getting that first meeting is crucial and trying to sell. I mean, I, you know, for a number of years, I used to just travel around Australia selling the brand. It's, well, and I, mean, I often talk, I often do um, sort of roadshow talks and uh, the thing I always say is you've got to wear it the shoe leather and there's just no substitute for it. No. It's got nothing to do with online. It's got nothing to do with technology. Yeah. Michael Klim knocking on doors. Yeah. Walking from this place to the next place, yeah. literally, yeah. Uh, getting on an airplane, flying across yeah. here, and yeah. getting one in maybe one in ten are interested in talking to you. Absolutely, you just got to keep doing it. I don't yeah. care what the business is, unless it's a totally online business. Yeah, <coughs> excuse me. There is no short version of actually getting getting to be successful in distribution. Absolutely, uh, yeah. in distribution strategies. Yeah. So okay, got the distribution <laughs> branding. What do you do about um, marketing your stuff? So when people walk into Priceline or Terry White or wherever it is, um, I know I'm going to look for Michael Klim's um, products. I mean, how do you get, what do you do about the marketing? So it's funny, um, we've recently rebranded the men's products. Uh, The men's range was called Milk & Co. Um, And we did a bit of a research where we found that the Milk & Co brand was a little bit too feminine for the guys. The packaging was off-wide and it wasn't really resonating. It was getting lost on shelf. And um, we wanted to and, – and again, we started to compete against some unisex products that were already in the, in the space. So um, with that you know, research, we realized there was definitely an opportunity to do more of a sports focus range, making it a little bit more masculine, more uh, stronger call to action. And the, funny enough, even though milk um, is clean backwards – It's so too w- clever. <laughs> it's too clever. People don't get it. You get it. Yeah. Clim, uh, I'm great, is better. Yeah. I, so I'm we, just telling you, my yeah. personal view. So is, we changed to Clim, which is... But mate, don't ever underestimate who you are. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, you look like Michael Clim. What I mean by that is your head is totally recognizable. So, you know, you're a walking banner. Yeah. So <laughs> don't ever underestimate the power of that. Yeah. In yeah. terms of what you've done here. I think Klim is better than milk. Milk yeah. is a little bit too clever. Yeah. It's 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 sort of asking too many questions. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and Klim's it, Klim. Yeah, and it's and it was, you know, especially for the export market, people ask us a lot of questions about the ingredients, is it a, is it a dairy-based product or, you know, it worked well for baby. Yeah. Um, you know, milk baby is, you know, obviously great connotation with nature and purity and whiteness, etc. So, um, but yeah, um, that was. yeah, so uh, we've had a really good sort of that whole brand we, you know, I think knowledge about your brand and uh, is key. So mm. I think if you can afford a research study, you can do, you know, different sort of survey monkeys, etc. But um, knowing what the customers think about your brand, if it's good or bad, um, you know, taken on board because you can make, you know, this to make the change to Klim wasn't an overnight thing. We had to do obviously. Uh, a soft change within stores and repackaging and there's extra costs involved and new campaigns, et cetera, imagery. So, but I think um, once you make that decision, you're really sort of... I think, I think it's a great it. decision. I, to me, it, it resonates quite well. One of the things I noticed in the brief here is that you live in Indonesia. <laughs> Part-time. <yeah>. Part-time. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you've got a business in Australia. I mean... Uh, Sounds a bit odd to me. So, yeah. where, where's the business run from? Indonesia or Australia? No, it's all run in Australia. Yeah. Um, it's, we've Tell me how it all works. So, we've got an, our operation offices in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, all the product is made in Melbourne. So, operations based out of there. Um, sales and marketing based here in Sydney. And um, we do have a couple of people on the ground in China as well. So um, it's still a pretty small team, but um, I, um, I have uh, in my current personal arrangement, I have the kids 
for a week every second week. So I've literally, uh, at the end of my week on Friday, I fly to Bali to be with the kids for a week and then I fly back the following well, week. Well, you better explain to our listeners what that's all about. Not everybody knows what's <laughs> going on. I mean, you've got a couple of kids. How yeah, many I've kids got, got three kids. Yeah. And, um, they're, in, just, they're part just, Indonesian? No, yeah, the, yeah well, they're, they're, um, their mother was uh, was half Balinese but grew up in Australia and um, she decided to, to sort of uh, reside there and the kids had spent the last five years in, in Bali. So um, for me, the most important thing was keeping stability in their life and um, not making too many changes while, you know, our personal circumstances change. So uh, I've obviously trying to build the team that could support me in that and understand my personal situation. So far, so good. I've been doing it for a bit over two years. So That's a big deal. Um, I mean, you, again, you're being very humble about it. Um, it's a big deal. I mean, like, uh, and lots of people um, get confronted by this. Hmm. Um our personal lives have to blend in with our business life, yeah, exactly. and Absolutely. you know, and nothing, things don't always go perfectly in our personal lives. Um, and so you got three kids. Um, you and your wife aren't together anymore, but she lives in Bali. The kids live yeah. in Bali with her. Yeah. But you want to see your kids. You can't not see your kids just because you want to run a business in Absolutely. Australia. Absolutely. So you know, this, there's nothing wrong. I want to say nothing wrong. There's nothing uh, too challenging at the end of the day if you can make it work by mm. being able to see your kids, as you say, week on one week on, one week off. But you yep. fly to Bali. Yeah. You got a joint there? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. You, you got a place there. You go and hang with the kids for a week, get back on a plane, fly to Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes a process. Absolutely. It's, you know, I've got a bit of a routine. It's look, it's not necessarily ideal because there's probably a bunch of meetings, face-to-face stuff that I miss out on, which normally I would have just jumped in the car or arranged a, a catch-up. But, um, you know, that's that's just my but you got web, you got WebEx, you got, you know, yeah. Skype. I mean, look, to be honest with you, if you had said to me, Mark, can we do this and I'll, we'll do it through WebEx or Skype and I'm in Bali, yeah. I would have happily done that. Yeah, interview with you on that basis, and I mean, I I think there should be. I mean, I'm doing quite deeply involved in the digitisation of small businesses in Australia, yeah. and yeah. one of the digitisation um, outcomes is that we think to ourselves that we have to do one on ones face to face. Yeah, and I actually think that there are a lot of people in in this country, and if you give people the option, listen, I can't come and see you today, yeah. or I can come and see you today, but would you like to do it by Skype? Or would you like to do it by WebEx or some other format? Yeah. Um, and I reckon 50% of the time people would say, listen, you don't need to come and see. We, we can talk face-to-face. It is face-to-face. Yeah. Digital Absolutely. face-to-face. Yeah. I mean, I don't see why people can't live in the country mm. or can't blend their lifestyle. Yeah. And I don't mean, and I'm not talking about laying around on a lounge in Bali around yeah. the world. I'm not doing that. <laughs> certainly not but that. blend their lifestyle vis-a-vis their family and their other commitments, their personal yeah. commitments, yeah. with their business commitments and be just as effective. Yeah. And that's what digitization is all about. And in, in 20 years' time, we won't even go to an office. Yeah. <laughs> in 20 years' time, you won't be coming into a studio and doing this with me. Yeah. I'll be yeah. sitting somewhere and you, you won't even know where I am. Yeah. I'll be in my sort of virtual studio. Yeah. You know, just as far as you know, as far as you will be concerned, I'm sitting here in Triple M yeah. in, in Elstereo's uh, studios. I don't see any problem with that, and yeah. um, and and I don't see it as a challenge. In fact, I see it as modern. I see it as cool, and I see it as the way we should promoting be promoting our business and mm. our lifestyles going forward. Yeah, this business of turn up to work with a suit, walking into rigid environments, it's changing. It's changing yeah, really rapidly. Absolutely. The game here is: can you pr- still produce your product and yeah. manage your business effectively? Yeah. What do you reckon? It's more about managing the team, really. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of. I've got great people with a lot more industry experience that they can run run the business day to day. But um, I think where my strength is is 
uh, I guess I'm the mentor to my team, uh, similar to you, I'm the mentor to so many of, of us all around here. But um, so it's having that personal time with them and talking through problems, you know. And it's it's even just obviously because I created the business. I think uh, you know, uh, um, I think my team values when I'm when I'm around. Um, you know, I, I certainly don't want to just relocate to to, to Bali. I don't no. think that's the right. Um, doesn't show the right example, and I still I kind of take it take it proudly that it's you know obviously I funded it, so um, I want to make sure that you know they that my team understands that as but well. But equally, I mean, give me a view on this though. Equally, though, there probably is a case that your team would even respect you more if they knew that you were sharing your time by coming back to Australia every week. Yeah, because they know your obligations to your children. So yeah. a they'll respect that. Yeah. And Michael's looking after his kids and is doing yeah. the right thing. But equally, Michael's fantastic because he's actually making coming back down yeah. to Melbourne and yeah. or Sydney yeah. and or China. He's coming to see us to talk to us yeah. as well. I mean, and there's... I and think that, so. And, you know, I, I generally jump on the red eye from, from Bali, which is, a bit of, which is a bit of a killer, and straight into the office. And, and it's, um, yeah, I think there is that mutual respect. But I try and sort of promote a good work-life balance is really important. Family is really important, I think. You know, we in. I think in, as you know, in business, people are sort of they jump on your train and or your ship in terms of, and they they don't always stay on as long as you do. So you have to facilitate an environment or give them a journey where they want to get to to the next stop. So I sort of, um, you know, I try and promote a, a happy environment and try and find out what the people want to get out of their experience. So do you in my give business. flexible working hours? You, you say, do you say because you've got flexible working hours, so to speak? Yeah. I don't mean that you're you're working whenever you feel like it, but you're working from another environment when you need to yeah do you say to say one of some of the women or the men look if you have to stay home because of school holidays because your kids absolutely are home, you, as long as you work from home here's a laptop yeah um, look we'll, they all have to be they're all accountable there's certain jobs they've all got pretty pretty clear kpis and and what they have to deliver so um you know we have you know obviously weekly management meetings where um, we very soon find out if, if those deliverables aren't being met. Yes, they're not so, taking the piss. Yeah, exactly. Well, if they're taking the piss, you find it out. Yeah, exactly. They're not taking the piss. You don't mind if you know, they say, listen, Michael, do you mind if I work from home and kid's sick? Yeah. Oh, that's certainly no problem. And that's the game. Yeah, exactly. And that's where, that's where workforces are going today. Yeah. I mean, when I was you know, a younger guy, that would just, you, if you no did that, you were in trouble. <laughs> but uh, now, that's the way, the way the world is. And by the way, with all technology, we can pretty much be, be connected. I can see if you're working for me and you're using a laptop that we issue you, I can see whether you're online or not. Yeah, absolutely. And what files you've accessed, And I know what you're doing. Yeah. I, I can pretty much see what you're doing, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that there should be more of this sort of flexibility in the workplace as yeah. far as I'm concerned. And there should be much more flexibility in terms of um, people understanding our lifestyle, particularly if you're the proprietor, because you're taking all the risk. Yeah. Not yeah. only are you taking the risk in the business, but you're taking risk at a, at a brand level, but you're taking risk with your family. Yeah, It's absolutely. a big deal. Yeah. So I, I, everybody comes in here, Michael, I give an opportunity to ask me a question. Um, yeah. It's not an opportunity, huh. it sounds a big, 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 big headed, but um, <laughs> what would you like to ask me? Um, from what you've heard, maybe, mm-hmm. um, it's always, uh, and you've know, obviously been in grading, giving me advice already on the branding. And um, what do you think is, from your experience and obviously user of products and um, your health and lifestyle and health and wellness, what is probably the, what do you see the future in this space? If you, if you, if, if whatever you can see, but um, what's the big opportunity for our brand? And if we were to go to the next level, what would, you know, now with strategic partners into the Asian market, what do you think is, it's probably the, the key thing for us to to establish for let's say round five. <laughs> I'm looking at I'm looking at it looking at him right now. So I don't know how old are you now? 
40. Right. You, well, you're lucky. You're lucky. You look much younger. That's the first thing. Second thing is you're obviously still very fit and uh, take care of yourself. The biggest opportunity that's really obvious to me is Michael Klim taking in this clean product that is um, that is born in Australia and it is grown up in Australia, taking into the markets, particularly the Chinese market or Asian markets in particular, but Chinese, um, taking into the market and promoting it through yourself. It's, right. This should be, to me, a classic Australian product lands in China and Chinese want that product because of Michael Klim. Yeah. Michael Klim's endorsement, which means you're going to build up your brand, Michael Klim's brand, about uh, whatever the message are the Chinese market wants, but I would suspect it's around um, organic perhaps yeah, or it's about um, um, <clears throat> um, uh, nutritional the products, nutritional yeah, to the outside yeah, of your body. Yeah. Um, it's not dangerous. Yeah. There's no crap in it. Like, you know, a yeah. lot of stuff coming out of China, there's, you don't know what's, what's been Yeah, they definitely the want natural active ingredients knowing that it's Australian made. Um, they want that quality. Um, but like yeah. if I try to promote it, it's not going to be anywhere near as effective as you. I mean, people might trust me because of my business sort of reputation, but people are going to trust Michael Klim because he's got everything going. He's yeah. he's a, he's a burnt Olympian. Yeah. So, you know, he's, he's a physical specimen in, yeah. in terms of, you know, where the, you know, I don't know, where people would like to be. They aspire yeah. to be Michael yeah. Klim, to look like him, you know, to look clean. You look very clean. you got the, you know, you got the chisel head. you got the good skin. you got the, I mean, you got blue eyes. These are things, look, you might think that's funny, but these are things that the Chinese market, they aspire to have. Yeah, they yeah. love that. Yeah. That's something they, wow, it's Michael yeah. Klim. Can I you ask know? you one more question? Yeah, I know you said one. Yeah. <laughs> but where I feel that we're, and this is a term I learned at PE in, in private equity. We're at a value creation point, another one coming up pretty soon. Um, and with a potential to list the company, uh, probably within the next, you know, two to three, maybe three years, would you recommend that for us to, to go to the next level? Are you doing that because you want an exit? Well, why would you want to list? <clears throat> I think to the, raise money or? I think the new investors want to potentially raise a significant amount to then take it really to ramp it. potentially then list in China. Right. So a list in China. Potentially or maybe in, maybe or in initially list in, on Hong Kong exactly. Right, they okay. may potentially domestically or but it'd be a... Well, my view on it, I wouldn't list it domestically because the Australian market is a tough market and um, unless you're paying, you know, 6% return, you're competing with the bank stock. So mm. people only want to buy you, they'll only buy you on two, on two occasions. One, if you're returning, a, giving them a 6% return fully frank to equal to what the banks do. So mm. that's all your older investors. Yeah, yeah. That's going to be hard. Mm. Um, or two, which what that means then is either you're going to have a low share price relative to your to your earnings, yep, yep. which is not where you want to be. You want to have a no. high share price, or the only other time they'll invest in you is your day traders and your punters who'll invest in you because on based on your growth. Yeah. Um. But th that growth story, the moment um you you stop growing, it turns around to bite you on the on the proverbial. Yeah. My view, if you're going to list, I'd be trying to list in a place like Hong Kong or something like that, yeah. where you've got a much more mature market, a much broader understanding market, yeah, and people yeah. are much more. They punt, yeah. but I will say to you that listing has a lot of obligations attached to it. It yeah. <laughs> is a difficult thing to do. It's very expensive to run a listed entity because you've got to have a, there's a whole lot of compliance requirements you've got to yeah, adhere absolutely. to. Yeah. Um, but it is one of the best markets to raise money. Yeah, and you get there's a lot of money going through Hong Kong. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people who will invest dough if it's well positioned, yeah. etc. Yeah. You probably get one good crack at it. Yeah, and exactly. uh, but then you really have to make it perform. Yeah. So I would only list if I'm trying to raise money. I'm, ra I'm trying to raise a lot of money. I'll, for this type of product, I'd rather list it in 
somewhere else other than Australia. All the alternative to that, and, and what that achieves for you and all your current sh- strategic shareholder, is it gives them an exit plan. In other words, yeah. there's liquidity in the stock, so they can go sell down some of the stock. If they're at thirty percent, they go and sell down at fifteen percent. They yeah. get some liquidity, yeah. so that's a great advantage too. You can sell down without having to go and find the fifth yeah. strategic investor. Yeah, you've gone through four rounds. It's probably going to be hard. Your your trade your next round will be either a trade sale yeah. of the whole thing. Yeah. To a cosmetic business yeah. or to a big distributor, yeah. or it will be a listing. Yeah, and if you're going to list, list somewhere else, yeah. So that's kind of yeah, that's what we're thinking. And well, I run so. them in parallel. Yeah. So I wouldn't just say we're going for a listing. I'd say to the listing market, the people who the brokers who promoted through, through their clients, I'd say, well, are you going to sell or we're going to list? Mm. And I'm going to appoint KPMG or something mm. like that. To find do my outcome for me, yeah, and that uh, they run this dual process. Yeah, what it does is it keeps pressure on the trade sale purchaser because yeah. he yeah. thinks shit, I might miss out on this, and someone else is gonna is gonna get listed. Yeah, or and equally it puts pressure on the brokers who yeah. are promoting the product because they're saying shit, we might miss out on our brokerage fee because yeah. yeah. this guy might sell it. Yeah, is there? I mean, both prices would be quite expensive though, right? So you no, we're really not. Well, normally, no, no, normally, no, no, yeah, expensive. Well, look. To, to list it, you're probably paying a six percent fee of the amount of money that you raise. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if you if you raise no, a, you know, exactly. ten million, you're paying you know six hundred thousand. Yeah, um, which means you're at nine million four hundred thousand. So, yeah. or if you're selling it, it's probably going to be around around the same price. So, mm. so the sale price is probably going to be the same price. So, um, you but the the game here is to get a really solid organisation like one of the big four. Um, the big four mm. accounting firms, some of like that, to run that dual process for yeah, you. And yeah. I mean, I, I've had some experience at KVMG, but they're all pretty good. Yeah. Um, okay. But it, but as soon as you put that brand out the front of your business, yeah, they'll do all the work for you. And um, you know, it, usually you don't pay them until one of the one of the two outcomes is achieved. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you might pay them a little bit on the way through, but generally speaking, the the, the six percent is at the end when they achieve what they're going to use yeah. the success base. Yeah, success base. Yeah. And um and. The, if you don't, if if neither one's going to happen, you just pull it. Yeah, and ju- that usually means you're too early. Yeah, and just stay with stay with business, no downside. Absolutely, we've got you know we're in a pretty good position at the moment. I guess always looking towards the future and you, you know, got an yeah. exit plan, mate. Exactly. Don't like if you get in a in a personal <laughs> relationship, you know you got to know what your exit plan is. You got to have an exit plan, and you got to have an exit plan. Yeah, we do. Because your investors <laughs> want to know what your exit plan is. How am I going to get my money back out of this? Yeah, and you need to know how you're going to get your money yeah, back absolutely. out of this. Mike Klim. Absolute pleasure. Thank mate, you. this is brilliant. I love it. And Thanks, I'm going to take Mark. the product. Appreciate home it. Thanks it. for your insight. Good on you, mate. <laughs> Thanks, buddy.